my name is Eugene. I get to uh, lead this church. And we are currently in a sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. We got two more Sundays, this Sunday and next Sunday. And if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and open them to uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 23. I just want to also just double click on everything Renata just said. But I would love to see you at the picnic. Uh, At the minimum, you will eat good food and get fresh air. And, but what we do hope is that our bonds, our relationships with one another would strengthen and we would get to know each other some more. So right now, as you recall, in chapter 2, Jesus is experiencing conflict with religious authorities. Uh, we read how in the beginning of chapter 2, they didn't like that Jesus forgave sin. Then they didn't like that Jesus dined with sinners. Then they didn't like that disciples of Jesus weren't fasting. And today we pick up with their problem or their, the, the problem they have about eating on the Sabbath day. Let's read. I am excited to get into the word with you. On one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to plug heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him. Now how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your kindness to us. Lord, our worship to you and our praise continues as we hear your word. Lord, would you work on our hearts? Would you bless this message that it would bless your people, that they may live lives of glorifying and worshiping you. Amen. Uh, Right here, have you ever experienced um, a conversation with somebody where you had, and it became very evident, a clash of views. Just same scenario, things you lived through together, but you, when you recall things, you're like completely on two different ends of the spectrum. If you're married, this probably has happened to you. I remember one time sitting with dinner guests, telling them a story about how uh, we were with our family eating breakfast, at um, like a local shop here, and uh, my son Elliot was playing with something, put it in his mouth. It got like stuck in his throat. He started to choke in this restaurant. I got up, and I'm telling this to, to my guests, you know, I'm telling them how heroic I was. I got Elliot, started to shake him. We, we got that out, and as I'm explaining the story, I hear this, what? And that's my wife, Albina. And she's like, no, I was the one who grabbed Elliot, 
shook him and took the thing out of his throat. And I'm like, no. And uh, so we decided to live in harmony. We both agreed she's right. I am not. I'm kidding. To this day, I stand my ground. I think I was the one. But it's interesting how you can have such a clash of facts that seemingly should be just right there and open to all. And we should all just agree. But here we have a difference of opinion Uh, That's similar to what's going on here in chapter 2, verse 23. Is you have a clash of views. The kingdom of God is clashing with the kingdom of man. God's truth and God's reality as revealed through Jesus is in opposition and conflict and clashing with the opinions, perspectives, add-ons of man. But uh, this story is unlike my story with Albina in that Jesus does have the authority to say what is true, what it does mean. You see, in this story, although it might not seem like very relevant to us because we're not really followers of Sabbath or things like that, and we'll talk about that today, but in this story, if you boil it down to its core, core questions, core, core issues, you will find something in here that affects and impacts all of us. At the core of the story are two questions. What does X mean? And who decides? They were asking, what does the Sabbath mean? And who gets to decide what the Sabbath day means? Every single day in our lives, every single day in our lives, those same two questions are played out all of the time. Who decides? And what does something mean? And Jesus has the authority. He just comes in and he says, the Lord, I am the son of man, speaking of himself, is Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus would be speaking on and on. And we have read about this, how Jesus is consistently talking about him having all authority. I love that Jesus doesn't give us reasons why he has the authority. Or he doesn't seek to persuade us that he has all authority to say what something means and decide and forgive sins and have power over demons. He doesn't. What I have found scripture, so beautiful about scripture, is it's more about declarations than persuasion. Of course, he has all the authority. And it's for you to decide whether you agree with that or you don't. And Jesus here is defining for us what Sabbath, the true intent of Sabbath. Jesus has the authority. I love how his authority is never being, he's never trying to convince somebody of his authority. He doesn't say, I have authority to forgive sins and then turn to his disciples and say, guys, what do you think? You guys agree with me? You guys, you guys think that's a little too harsh? Guys, I really do, right? No, he just says it. The Bible declares truths, not necessarily is interested in persuading us in those truths. Believe me, there's a lot of evidence here, but it just says so. And Jesus, he's just saying, look, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, period. It's like the, you know, when parents 
try to t- persuade their kids to do something like, Johnny, you gotta go to sleep. It's eight o'clock, it's your bedtime. Johnny, it's so good for you. You gotta sleep. Come on, come on. And then at some point, parents decide, wait a moment. I can use the ISS card. I said so. And at some point, the parents realize, like, hey, Johnny, it's eight o'clock, you gotta go to sleep. Because I said so. And in a beautiful way, Jesus here is defining that he is the one with ultimate authority to decide and to decide what things mean. Our goal, Mercy Church, is to come under his authority. Do you know what the word understand means? It has two parts, under Stand to understand scripture, to understand the word of God is to stand under, come under everything scripture exposes and talks about. So, let me ask you this question those two questions what does it mean and who decides? Let me ask you this question what does a mountain mean for you? Ever thought about that? That big rock we see, what does it mean? To some, it looks like just blind forces at work that gave us this thing called this mountain, and we love it. Or does it mean that it was fashioned and formed by a creator, a masterpiece, to reflect his power, his majesty? What does it mean? Let me ask you this question. What does sex mean? Does it mean Just a physical encounter, physical encounter, physical interaction of enjoyment between two people? Or does it mean an extension, an expression, a seal of an unbreakable promise and covenant between a husband and a wife? What does it mean? What does pain mean? Is pain just a role of unlucky chance? You got cancer, man, that sucks. Or can we look at pain and say, whoa, but you see, God's redemptive purposes are also involved in redeeming this pain. He's refining me. He's doing something for, my, for his glory and my good. And we can go on. You see, these questions of, of what does something mean and who decides, they're played out all the time in our lives. And the question is, will we stand under the authority of Christ as the one who defines truth, gives truth, and tells us what reality is? So back to the Sabbath day. For the Pharisees, Sabbath day was something completely different by the time of Jesus than for what it was originally intended. Now here's what Jesus, well, what we find here is that the disciples of Jesus are simply going through the fields and plucking heads of grain. And that's in verse 23. What they were doing right now was completely allowed and permitted by the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 23, verse 25, it says this, and this is just the beauty of God's provisions. He cares for the vulnerable. He cares for the uh, sojourner. If you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands. The Bible allows that. But you must not put a sickle to the standing grain, which is, of course, you know, that's a good, good reason, right? If you come to your friend's house, you know, it's one thing when you grab an apple out of the 
on the table. It's another thing if you open up your grocery bags and just start piling everything down. <laughs> like that scripture, this allows that, but it allows for a plucking of grain. And that's what they're doing. But for the Pharisees, they're doing this on a Sabbath, and uh, most likely that's seen as reaping. And on Sabbath day, remember, you're not allowed to do any work. But let's remember what God tells us about the Sabbath. In, Deuter- um, in Exodus chapter 21, 20, verse 8, it says this. God says this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord has made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Main idea, Sabbath law and ordinance is given so that there would be no work on seventh day, no rest. But by the time of Jesus, Pharisees and religious leaders have added all kinds of new rules. In fact, um, there's this thing I learned about Melakot, and it's a Jewish writing on the rules of what is what counts as work and what doesn't count as work. There are 39 things you couldn't do on a Sabbath. Let me just read to you a couple of them. Plowing, sowing, reaping, gathering, winnowing, shearing, trapping, tanning, riding, erasing, building, demolishing, extinguishing. 39 things were prohibited to be done that couldn't be done on a Sabbath day. Each one of those things was further uh, explained with a lots of lots of minutia, like lots of small, tiny details. You could only walk 0.7 miles on Saturday. You could not bathe because the water could fall out and wash the floor. If a candle was lit, you couldn't put it out. If it wasn't lit, you couldn't light it. Chairs couldn't be moved because they might make a rut. Women couldn't look into in a glass or they might find a white hair and be tempted to pull it out. You couldn't wash your hands over a lawn or any wa- uh, vegetables because that would be water, watering it. You couldn't turn on appliances because that would be kindling something. You couldn't drive a car. And there's 24 chapters in Jewish writing called the Talmud just given to all the things that you couldn't do on a Sabbath day. What's more is that Sabbath keeping was the focal point of religion in this day. It was seen as the way you determined if you were holy or not. And so there was a lot of policing going on on this seventh day, which started at Friday sundown and would end, excuse me, yes, sundown and would end on Saturday sundown. And on this day, you couldn't do anything. Now, of course, people would be looking for loopholes. People would always be involved in hypocrisy. 
And into this religious culture, Jesus says, come to me, all you weary and heavy laden, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can I just say this? Human beings, uh, this is not a shock to us, have a tendency to ruin good things. (laughs) Don't we? I'm just thinking about health. I find myself in my life struggling either on two sides of the spectrum. I either idolize health, count every calorie, every, you know, or I completely neglect it. Human beings have a tendency to idolize anything or neglect anything. We idolize our kids, you know, they're like, our lives revolve around them, they're, 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 they're the purpose of our lives, or we just totally let it go. We idolize money, or we completely disregard how we spend money. And in this regard, and listen, by the way, I like to say this, the devil doesn't care which side of the horse you fall off of because neither is obedience to Jesus. So here we see Sabbath day ruined with all kinds of rules. I mean, can you imagine you would wake up on Sabbath day and you had to just start thinking like, I gotta, I can't, nope. And you just, that's your, that would be your life And Jesus responds to this. Notice how Jesus responds to their accusation. In verse 24, they say, Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus has basically three main responses that build off of one another. First, he says, Guys, get your Bibles out. Have you read your Bible even? (laughs) It's like a dig, right? Have you never read... What David did, what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him. Now this story, and in and, and verse 26, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Please notice Uh, what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about King David. This is a story in 1 Samuel chapter 21. You could write this on the side of your Bible. Read it on another time. Is that King David is on the run from Saul. And as he is on the run from Saul, he enters the tabernacle at Nob. And there he meets the priest. And the priest is super concerned because um, David and King Saul our enemies. King Saul is the king right now, and King David is on the run. And so he says, what are you doing here? Where are your men? And David lies, lies, by the way. He lies, and he says, look, I'm on a secret mission I can't tell you about that Saul sent me. So what the high priest does and what David asks him is give me some food, and they didn't have any food, but they had this ritual, this ceremony of laying out 12 loaves of bread on the table in the tabernacle, one bread representing each tribe. And that every Saturday, every Sabbath, those breads, 12 breads, would go to the priest to eat, and a new batch of loaves would be put on the table. And David, who's not a priest asks for those bread, that bread, and he eats it. And Jesus is making a big point here. He's saying something so common sense and so beautiful that there is a time when a ceremonial law can be put to the side out of necessity. 
Here David is in huge need. He's hungry. By the way, he's going on a trip trying to flee to enemy territory, Philistines. And he needs to eat. And so this high priest gives him this bread, five loaves. that He wasn't supposed to eat. And nothing happened to David. He didn't even sin in this regard of eating that bread. Because the ceremonial law was, there was a provision to put it to the side out of necessity. By the way, a comment on ceremonial laws. You know, in the Old Testament, if whenever we read, we encounter lots of laws. Uh, Christians through the centuries have looked at those laws and divided them into two categories. Moral laws and ceremonial laws. Moral laws are laws that do not change. Do not steal, do not kill, do not commit adultery. They reflect God's nature, God's character. They are the standard of God's holiness. Ceremonial laws were given primarily as a provision for how to deal with our sins against the moral laws. So sacrificial system was introduced, things like that. And what's interesting is a Sabbath day kind of falls between ceremonial laws and moral laws. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 17, Paul writes, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality now however, is found in Christ. Jesus is the shadow caster. All of these things, ceremonial laws, sacrificial systems, Sabbath day even, and we'll get to that in just a moment, were pointing to their ultimate fulfillment in Christ. You see, Jesus is the Passover meal. Being born again is our circumcision. Jesus is our Sabbath day. Jesus fulfills all of these ceremonial laws, but now, going back to the story, Jesus says ceremonial laws can be put to the side out of necessity. That's the first thing Jesus responds. But the second thing Jesus says in verse 27 is, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Let's start with verse 28. Lord of the Sabbath. What a title. Lord of the Sabbath. Here's three things that means. Number one, shockingly, Jesus is saying, I am the giver of the Sabbath. Now let's read our Bibles carefully and tell me where Jesus is. In Genesis chapter 2, verses two, 1 and 2, it says this. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Who consecrated this day? God did. In Exodus 28, we just read, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. God gave the commandment to keep it holy. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, when God re-gives the law before Israel enters Canaan, it's God again giving the law. 
And here is Jesus who says, I'm the Lord of this day. Here is Jesus claiming ultimate authority. Here is Jesus saying, I am God. When Jesus said this, keep in mind, in John chapter 5 and Mark chapter 3 verse 6, they will want to kill Jesus for what he does on this day. This day you don't mess with. And he says, I'm the son of man, Lord of even the Sabbath. So he is the giver of Sabbath, but here is the crucial point that helps us unlock verse 27. He is Lord of the Sabbath, meaning he, give, he is the giver of Sabbath. And verse 27, he is the definer of Sabbath day. He's the one who declares what its original intent is. And the original intent of this, and he defines it for us, is that it is given to man and not man for the Sabbath. Can you imagine the blessing of this day? This day is a blessing, mercy. For most of history, the master, there was no LNI, there were no labor laws, so the masters would work their servants to death, their animals to death. And here is a provision of God in the scripture. Rest. Everybody take a day off. Isn't that glorious? Oh, how much we need this. How much I need this. Aren't we addicted to busyness? Aren't we addicted to frenetic pace? Stimuli after stimuli, chore after chore, go, 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 and just feeling busy. Like, like we as a, I think, a culture love busyness. And yet God introduces an ordinance for our blessing. Now, Mercy, I want to say I'm the first one for whom this sermon is for. I'm the first one who needs to learn how to rest. You probably also, I don't know, but I'm just assuming, need to learn how to rest. Please understand something about Sabbath day. This is so golden. This is so gold. It's not introduced to Moses. What commentators have and theologians have looked and they looked at the Sabbath day and they realized it doesn't just start, you know, it's not introduced or it's not an original idea with Moses. It is part of the creation account. In other words, this seven-day rest is built into the rhythms and the fabric of the universe. We all are benefiting from a day of rest. We all will benefit from a day of rest. Rest is a blessing of God. Rest is important for us. Six days, work hard. Do everything you can. Don't slack. Do your best work. On seventh day, rest. It's for your blessing. Now, historically, Christians have done two things. First of all, Sabbath day became the Lord's Day Sunday. And this day, they did two primary things. They got together to worship God like you're doing today. Way to go. And then they rested. They ceased and enjoyed creation and took a break, took a nap. I don't know. Most of us take naps after church. 
they rested. And mercy, I just, I want to speak to you like, I really want us to get this point, right? Every uh, year gives me 52 Sundays to stand here and preach. What if we just took this one day and said, wow, maybe I need to reevaluate my life. Maybe I need to have the Sabbath rest. My, my soul is weary. I'm tired. I, I'm confused. And listen, you don't have to work. There's one day God gives us that's not to be, uh, for any work to be done. But I want you to see something deeper going on. Jesus is telling us that God is giving us this ordinance, this Sabbath day, for our blessing. A blessing we would be wise to heed. But further, I want to step back and apply this more generally to God's laws as a whole. Do you know that God's laws as a whole are for our blessing? They're for our encouragement. They're for our protection. When we read this Bible, right, and we read these laws, what do we think? I mean, oftentimes we think, what a burden. Or we think this is out to kill my joy. This is to limit my opportunities. But look what Jesus is saying. This law is for your blessing. I love Psalm chapter 1. I want to take this real quick and go through it as a case study. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Notice what it says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Please notice three verbs. Does not walk, does not stand, does not sit. Mercy, this is a demonstration, a picture of declining or getting entrapped by sin. Notice the first stage, walking. That's where everybody starts when they play with sin. And then they're standing. And then they soon find themselves sitting. It is a, an increase of association. I was at the zoo yesterday. And anytime you weren't interested in an animal, you just kept walking, right? And then if you got interested in something, you slowed down and you stood. And then, of course, not everybody, but if you really, really wanted to see this animal, you took a seat somewhere on a bench to watch this animal. This is showing an increase of association and interest with wicked people and wicked ways. From walking to standing, to sitting. But please also notice it is in, uh, an increase of bondage and enslavement. Because when you're walking, you can change direction quickly. When you're standing, you can still go. But when you're sitting, some of us, right, we're like, we got to get up, get up. Like, really get up. And what this shows us, mercy, is that anybody who's ever found themselves sitting in wickedness, in sin, did not start there. They start with playing with it, playing with fire. Then eventually you're standing there and eventually you're sitting trapped in the bondage of your addiction. I want to say God's grace is not threatened by any of these stages. He rescues us from all stages. But God's law is a blessing for us so that we don't do this. But now notice what verse 2 says, but delight yourself in the law. 
Delight yourself in love. You know what that means? That means love it. Enjoy it. Be hungry for it. And this is huge because you know what? The demons, they know theology. They know all things that the Bible talks about. They know the truth. So what's the difference between a Christian who knows the truth and a demon who knows the truth? A demon cannot love it. A demon can never delight in it. A Christian knows the truth, is called to the truth, and delights in it, loves it. And here's what I want to say about delighting in the law. It's not just enough to know it. It's we are called to delight in it. It's for our joy and our good. Unsaved people cannot delight in the law. Because the law is condemnation of them. The law is given to point them to their need in Savior. The law is given to bring them to Jesus, to the cross, and say, you need a Savior. But what about people who are saved? What about people who are now under the cross? It's for them that the law becomes a delight. It's for them that the law becomes a joy and a blessing. Mercy Church, as saved people, people who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, the law, God's rules, God's commands are for our delight. And here's why. We don't have to do them out of fear of acceptance. For cross of Jesus is our acceptance. We are called to delight in the law and we get to delight in the law because we are called to obey God's word and God's rules, not out of our own power, but with the grace that he gives, the supply, he gives his strength by abiding in him. We get to obey these laws with the example that Jesus set forth and we just follow his footsteps. Oh, we get to obey all of these laws without shame or guilt for when we slip up. For God readily offers us forgiveness. Do you see, for people who are saved, people who are part of the covenant, people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, it's for us to delight. So my question to you is, do you delight in God's laws? Do you delight in God's word? And notice what it says, and then you will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. You know how you become fruitful in life? Delighting in the word. Not just knowing it, not just kind of duty-bound, working on it, but loving it. And loving it because of everything Jesus has done and we get to. And then you will be like a tree, yielding fruit in its season. Some of you are in a season where the fruit of self-control is desperately needed. Some of you are in a season of discouragement and doubts. And man, you need to have the fruit of faithfulness. Some of you are in a season of anxiety and toil, maybe depression. And it's a season for you to produce the fruit of joy and peace. Some of you are in a season of a lot of impatience, talking to parents here. We have a temptation to be cranky and bitter and snappy. And you know what? I think, you know, you know what, what determines the season of your fruit? Your struggle, your temptation. Like that tells you what fruit you ought to be producing or having in your life. 
Maybe you're in a season where you're cranky and impatient and tired, and it's a season for goodness. Maybe you're comparing yourself all the time. It's a season for you to produce the fruit of contentedness. You're not to be just a tree with leaves. You are a tree to produce fruit, and the way you do that is delighting yourself in the law. I would love for us today, for us to take this in. What do I think of God's law when I think of God's law? Now remember, I have everything I need in Christ. My salvation, my forgiveness, my acceptance, my sonship, my daughtership, all of that is in Christ. Now what do I think of the law now? Do I love it? Do I seek to obey it? Do I delight in it? Jesus is the giver of the law. He is the definer of the law. He gives the Sabbath and he defines what it means and that he is the one who decides what it means. And when he says, here's what it means, he means it's for our blessing. So Mercy Church, I want to say, have you come under that to view that as the law? We'll get the keys up here and I'll be wrapping up my sermon. But there's something else going on here. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, means he's the giver of the law, it means he is the definer of the law, but he is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, meaning he is our Sabbath rest. If you ever want to read Hebrews, you can find so many quotations, so many verses all over the place that says, enter in into rest. What rest is that? It's that, did you know that, Mercy Church, if you want to have a relationship with Jesus, if you want to have a relationship with God, you don't have to work your way up. You don't have to clean up your life. You don't have to get all this Bible figured out before you are accepted. No, 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 no. Rest is that you can rest from these works, these works of self-righteousness, to rest in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Have you entered into Sabbath? Are you in Sabbath rest right now? Are you in Christ? Or are you seeking on your own? I was reading a story from the Old Testament where a man was picking up his little sticks of wood on the Sabbath day, and God says, absolutely not. (laughs) Not. You're not supposed to work like that. I love that example. Sometimes when God provides everything for us in Christ, And that rest he gives us to cease from self-righteousness, cease from having to earn our acceptance. We turn back to collecting our own sticks, trying to make our own way back to God. No, he is Sabbath rest. He is our forgiveness. I love this story about on Passover when the people of God, Israel, had to mark the doorposts with the blood of the lamb. And I love this story because if you ask the question, what worked there? Like what what was the reason they were saved when the angel of death came through and passed over? What worked? Why did it work? I'll tell you what. It wasn't necessarily because of the perfection of their faith. It was the quality, the effectiveness of the sacrifice. Uh, There probably would have been people in that time, at that time, 
that would have been like, oh man, I don't know if this is going to work. I know we are told to mark our doorposts with blood, and, and I know we got to do this, and, but I don't know if this night I'm gonna sur- my firstborn is going to survive. I don't know. And you could have had some doubts, but it was the quality of the sacrifice. It was sheer obedience to trust. And Mercy Church, I want to ask you today, we've been preaching about Jesus all these Sundays, not looking at your doubts, not looking at where you might stand. Do you, have the, do you want to place your trust in Christ? The best way you can, a mustard seed faith. And it's not the quality, the intensity of our faith that saves us. It's the quality of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That's the effective part. That's the cause. That's the difference maker. So with every head bowed, every head bowed, I want to pray for you right now. Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you put your faith in him? Have you prayed to him? Have you come to him in prayer? Have you confessed your sins to him? With the best way you know how, have you put your focus on him? Oh, Jesus, I ask right now that whoever has not yet placed their trust in you, that this Sunday would be the Sunday their lives would be changed. God, I pray for their hearts. I pray that you would draw them to yourself. Lord, as for us, I pray that we would learn to see the goodness, the gift of your law. God, that it would become our delight, not our scoreboard, not our attempts to earn your favor, for all of that is provided in Christ. But we would obey your word for your glory, and from that, our good. Lord, would you bless us? Would you help us live our lives obediently? Lord, help us see Sabbath day and learn to rest in it. Take breaks from our frenetic pace for your glory and our good. In your name I pray, amen.